Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 302. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you are here to join us today. I'm happy to introduce our guest, Rob Dion. Rob is the owner of Open Sky Fitness, but there is so much more that we're going to cover today because I he just so much more than that. But welcome, Rob. Kim, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Oh, I am excited to have you here too. And we'll be catching up in another month. Listeners, you've heard me talk about it before. And actually, Rob, I forgot to mention to you just one episode before yours. Episode 300 is Steve Ulsher. Listeners, Rob and I met at the New Media Summit last year. And we'll be meeting there again about a month after this episode goes live. But I can't wait for that. I can't wait for round two. Let me just put it that way. I want to see what dances are done this time. New Media Summit was awesome. We I had such a great time. And, you know, not only did we walk away with a bunch of uh, great interviews under, you know, that we could take back to our studio, but also people getting to meet people like you, you know, and actually connecting with some awesome podcasters that are out there that I didn't even know existed. That's the coolest part, I think, for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And actually, I'm most excited about this time because I know that I have to make more time to connect with the other podcasters. I agree with you completely. There was just a shortage there. Yeah. But we're getting off track. That's just what happens on the Positive Productivity Podcast. That's right. Off track all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And in life too. I mean, really, it, it happens every single day around here. We can't stay on rails at all at all times in our life. That's impossible. Are you ever on rails? No, I'm literally off the rails. That's, I think that should be the name of my show, Off the Rails, but it's not, unfortunately. But that'd be a really good name for a show, don't you think? Off the Rails? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. I think it's a great name for a show. I don't know if it's a psychology show or maybe it's a show about like, you know, having kids. It's like you totally derailed. I don't know. It's uh, I'm about to have kids, so I'm feeling like my life's about to derail. <laughs> I don't know, Kim, you have five kids, so you tell us. Okay. And none of my kids were planned? None of them were planned? You didn't plan any kid. You had five kids? You and your husband need to know how to and learn how to plan. You need to, you need to hire a plan. Okay, we know how it happened. Okay, let me just let me just put that out there. We know how it happened. You, my first two were with that my out, ex. First of all, yeah, figured out. Yeah, yeah. But actually, Rob, my the last three, my four year old and my three year old twins, we had tried for a year to get pregnant and and we kept on having miscarriages. We had four in a year and we gave up. And I started my business and we were done trying. But wouldn't you know that the week that I gave my notice of my job that I was leaving to do my business full time, we found out we were pregnant with our daughter, Nevaeh. Wow. Yeah. And then we decided that we were done because that was enough. We were in our house. We had just enough room for the people that were here. Hmm. And we went to make it official. And the doctor said, you better sit down. You're pregnant with twins. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. So now there's not going to be any more accidents unless God has an extremely, extremely, extremely huge sense of humor because clearly he already has one giving us twins at the at the end of all the rest of the kids that we already have. <laughs> yeah. And you did you have the, your twins? Are they two girls, the, the, the youngest? No, they're boy, girl. Boy, girl. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Actually, we were kind of hoping for twins on the first go around. No, you weren't. They're in. 
they were in the family. I know, but we were like, you know, it'd be kind of awesome to kind of hopscotch because we want to, we want to, or leapfrog, I should say, we want to uh, have a boy and a girl. Obviously, I think most people do if they're going to have a couple of kids. Um, and it would have been amazing. So if we had had that, I feel like that would have been the coolest thing ever. But I don't know. You say I know it's a lot of work. It's all a lot of work. One kid, two kids, five kids. Jeez, I'm I'm, I'm I come from a five kid family. I have four older sisters. I don't know how my parents did it. And my dad lost all his hair. So that's I know how he did it. Um, so <laughs> my husband <laughs> has lost all of his hair since the twins were born. He just yeah. shaved it off now because he doesn't want the bald to show. <laughs> but yeah, no, I totally get the boy girl. Actually, this is the first time I'm admitting this period. But I started crying at the ultrasound for my second child. Uh, my first two were boys. I started crying because they said it was he was going to be a boy. And my ex-husband just thought I was so happy. But I was actually devastated. This is so bad. I can't believe I'm admitting this on the podcast. I love you, Robert. Oh, my, my son. Oh, my gosh. But I, I, I wanted him to be a girl. <laughs> well, you could have named him Roberta. That's what my mom used to call me when I used to grow my hair long. So if Robert eventually grows his hair long, then, you know, you'll get your wish. Oh, he wants to, but it gets poofy instead of... Oh, instead of like long and silky. Yeah, exactly. I got you. All right. Yeah. But anyway, okay, Rob, I want to get back to you. <laughs> okay, that's a good. That's a, sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's circle these rails back around so you can share with us how your life has gone off rails, right? Mm -hmm. in, in a good way. Yeah. That was a good segue, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, is, I don't know. Is that, the, is that the question? Yeah. How did you get to where you are now? Um, let's see. Okay. So, well, I'll start. I'll start from the beginning. Um, let's see. When I, well, in terms of, in terms of just, if we're, are we talking about career here? Are we talking about where I am? Because my, my, I've had so many career changes, it feels like, in my life that I, uh, that I, I don't know where to start. But my wife and I, we met, we went to conservatory in New York. I was, we were talking about that just before we jumped on. I went to SUNY Purchase Acting Conservatory. She was in the dance conservatory and we moved to New York City uh, for three years to try to make it in the biz, as they say, and uh, it didn't really work. So I moved to Los Angeles because it's warmer and it's more fun to try to make it in the biz when it's warmer and you don't have to deal with slush and hail and, and sleet and, and all that stuff. So we moved out to L.A. and worked on it for a couple of years, like three years off and on. And at the same time, obviously, what every actor does is they have a they have to become a waiter or a bartender or a restaurant manager. I did all of those things. I also uh, started becoming a personal trainer at the time because I did a show where I lost a bunch of weight and this guy asked me how I did it and and I told him and he said, would you train me? And that was my first client ever. So I just kind of fell into being a personal trainer. I was always... Uh, I was always working out with friends and always kind of athletic as a kid, but I never really considered it as a, as a career. And so I started training this guy and I ended up loving it. And as I, as I trained him, he ended up losing like a hundred pounds, which was amazing. And I started going and getting certifications in personal training from NASM. And I got advanced certifications, corrective exercise, uh, weight loss certifications, uh, CrossFit certifications, massage certifications, and just like trying to really uh, build my build my platform to build a you know a fitness business on. As I was still trying to become a personal trainer, I mean a, a, an actor, and and manage this waiting tables and managing a restaurant job. 
And my goal was to just get out of waiting tables. I had been doing that since I was 17 years old. My mom said to me some, something to me that I'll never forget when I was a kid. She goes, you know, Rob, you can wait tables anywhere. Uh, it's like a great way to pick up extra cash no matter where you are. And unfortunately, I used it too much as a crutch. And I feel like I fell into that as it's almost like I think waiting tables can become uh, really it's like a trap because you can make a lot of money at it. Uh, but unfortunately, none of it is sustainable. And you just unless you're squirreling away some cash, which gets really difficult, you, you just kind of get stuck in that rut of being a waiter or uh, in the food service business. And nothing against that. You can you can, you know, start a career in that. That's totally fine if you really want to dive in. But when you're trying to utilize that as like a source of income while you're trying to do something else, it can be it can it can be a trap. And I was falling into that trap very quickly. And so I transitioned out of that and went and became a personal trainer. And then I realized I'm all I'm getting all this anxiety from trying to be an actor and it's not going anywhere. And I have a little bit of an OCD problem where I feel like I have to be perfect at things. And I know that this show is about not having to be perfect, but it's a struggle to feel like every I have to be able to I have to be able to su survive as an actor. And I didn't want to be, I'm 40 now. I was 30, around 30 at that time. I didn't want to flash forward 10 years, 20 years, still being an actor and still being a personal trainer with a mediocre business. And, um, and that was really scary for me because I saw them. You're in LA. You see those people. They're there. The personal trainers that are, that are still actors that are 60 years old, they're out there. And I see them everywhere. You see them everywhere you go if you're in the business. Same thing with waiting tables or bartending or whatever. You see those guys and girls, uh, women, I should say, who are like, who are juggling those two careers. Now, if they're happy doing that and it brings them joy, all the power to them. But for me, it scared me. I didn't want that for my life. I wanted more security. I wanted to start a family. I wanted to feel financially secure. And so I decided to hang up my acting hat, walked into my agent's office, said, hey, I'm done. So walked into my manager's office, said, sorry, you know, don't submit me anymore. And, uh, and I just, and I focused, you know, all my attention on my personal training business. And that's kind of what led me to where I am today. And it's still evolving, right? But along the way, which is kind of what we were talking about, I, we invent, we saved money. We squirreled away. We actually had a meeting with a financial advisor that was one of my wife's, uh, clients who gave us a really good bit of advice that said any debt you have, which we had student debt, we had just debt from moving. We had, you know, we had probably like maybe like $40,000 in debt all, all, all in. And he's like, pay off everything. First, like, don't worry about saving money. None of that matters unless you don't have debt. And that's so true when you want to buy real estate. If you want to buy real estate and you have debt, it's going to be unbelievably difficult to do oh, so. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. And so I know you and I talked about this. And that is – so you have to get out. If you are not focusing on getting out of debt right now, if you have debt and you want to build something, like build uh, you know, a portfolio of, of real estate or something – you can't do it with debt. Uh, the banks just won't give you the money. So that's that was like the first thing. So we we didn't even know that. We were just like, the guy was just, the guy told us, uh, get out of debt. And we did. We spent the next like you know six months. We had some money that we had saved. He's like, just dump it into the debt, get rid of it. And then we spent the next six months or so just paying off the rest of it. And that was it. And then we started building back up again until we were able to uh, afford a house. And we, you know, in LA, and then we could talk about that because I make now my house pays for itself. 
And I could tell you how I did, how we did that. And then also we were able to buy another apartment building in LA based on the money that we were saving from being personal trainers in LA uh, because we were basically living for free. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I am so intrigued because listeners, it, well, if this is your first episode, I am not in LA. I am in, or I am outside of Dayton, Ohio, where the cost of living is nothing like LA. I think probably our monthly house payment would probably only pay for a closet probably in LA. Well, how much, well, like give me, give us an idea and I'll, and I'll compare it to what it is, what it would mean to like, you can either rent in LA or you're talking about owning a home. I know the difference. I know what the difference is, but so our, (laughs) our monthly house payment, and I, I've never been this transparent Uh before either listeners were in a land contract because everything that Rob has just said is completely true. If you have any debt, it's going to be hard to get real estate. And as an entrepreneur, it gets even tougher because they want to see your income. And so we had to restore our credit, get rid of a whole lot of debt before we could buy the house that we've been living in for four years. So we've been in a rent to own. Rob, when we started, we were paying eight fifty a month. Mm-hmm. And it's a five-bedroom house, garage, nice yard. What? Oh, my God. Yeah. Do you want to know what that would cost in LA? Probably at least a half a million. To buy? No. Oh, to buy. Well, no? to buy? No. Try, try like more than like that would be at least three times as much it would be at least 1.5 million no way oh my gosh house yes my house right now is a three-bedroom house and but it also has two apartments in the back that we airbnb we could talk about that in a minute but but like you know there's a there's the the houses in this area three bedrooms and we live in like a like a not a great area of la it's up and coming in la um our our house is probably worth over a million now and we got it for wow. six. We got it for six seventy five four years ago. So it's like everything in LA. It goes up very very fast. Um, there's certain you have to kind of see neighborhoods. Now, when you're growing up, when you live in a small town, real estate uh, doesn't. It's it's not like you guys are jam packed. Los Angeles is so unbelievably populated that there's. It's all about where is the next place I can live that's affordable that's going to get, have a Trader Joe's in the next three or four years. Like that's that's what people are trying to figure out. Where are people going to be moving to and what's going to start changing, you know, and, and upgrading over the next, over the next four to five years. And so we were really lucky. We could not afford to buy anywhere. Like if I wanted to buy a five bedroom, two bathroom with a garage and some land in LA in like West Hollywood area or even Hollywood, I mean, 2 million to start. Oh my gosh. I don't even, I mean, we're, we're getting this house for 115. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the thing you won't, you won't find, you won't find a condo in LA, a one bedroom or two bedroom, not even a one bedroom. You won't find a one bedroom condo in LA for that price. Yeah. Probably not even the closet then. (laughs) You might find, you might find a studio. Oh, I don't even mean a studio. I just mean literally like the, the two foot by three foot closet. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably in terms of square footage, what you'd get. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy the difference. So but our goal is to eventually get out of the market in LA, take everything, you know, take our winnings in a sense, and then just bail and go to place some, somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Maybe like, you know, maybe like Arizona or something, or I don't know, that's kind of landlocked. We like, we like being close to the beach, but uh, somewhere else. Yeah. Then uh, don't come to Ohio. You probably not gonna, yeah. Okay. Okay. You, you talked me into it. <laughs> I won't go to ohio the only way that we're not landlocked around here is when the river floods <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way out yep. just jump in the river yep go down so yeah so um 
so the, yeah, so we 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 basically we started getting involved in, in in the apartment uh and and stuff. And you were you were talking about um yes, in terms of in terms of being an entrepreneur and and then getting a loan from the bank. So what they're going to need to see first and foremost is the fact that you do not have any do not have any uh outstanding loans, you don't have any debt. Um that's the first thing. Uh second thing is they're going to want to see proof of income. And for a lot of people, when especially like we were person, we're personal trainers here in Los Angeles, we gather our checks from individuals, not from companies. We don't get a salary check; we get individual checks, which meant that we bought our house. It was uh, June, I think we closed. It might have been May. I think it was May when we opened escrow. It's a thirty day escrow, so we had to get all of our checks from, uh, and we knew. Oh, here's what we did. This is bananas. So we knew that. Uh, we went to a, a financial guy, a, a, a mortgage lender, and we said, okay, what do we qualify for? And the guy gave us a number that we qualified for, but he goes, look, last year you guys wrote off a whole bunch of stuff. Like you only showed that you made maybe, I'm just going to, $50,000 between the two of you, right? I can't remember the numbers, right? So he's like, you only showed that you made $50,000 between the two of you. Uh, they're not going to give you a good loan on that. So we're not going to be able to get the loan. So you're going to have to show that you make more money, which meant that we couldn't write anything off that year. That, that year we wanted to buy the house. So when we went to our accountant, instead of writing off, because as a personal trainer, basically you can write off so many things like just my car I can write off. I can write off a part of my office at home because I, I run business out of that. Uh, and then just like meals and such, there, there's a lot of it because we're on the go all the time. It's, you just, it's your day to day. And, uh, and entertainment and buying clients things and such and equipment. And basically every pair of shorts and sneakers I get is a write-off because it's part of my, my, uh, my uniform in a sense. So I couldn't write any of that stuff off in order to qual in order to show that we made, I can't remember how much we had to show we made. It was something like 150 to $200,000 between the two of us. And that's what we did. So that meant that in order to get it a loan to buy a house that was at the time $675,000, in order to get a loan to qualify for that, we had to pay Uncle Sam something like 30 or 40, I can't remember, it was either 20 or $30,000 out of pocket. Like we had to give up money we had in order to qualify for a loan. So then we, when we put it down on the house, like we had that $30,000, $30, let's say, for ready to put down on a home, but we had to just give it to our taxes. Um, in order to in order to just get the that law. sounds so painful. So we just, it's so painful because literally you just you just threw away tens of thousands of yeah. dollars in order to qualify. Yeah. So yeah, that's so that's what we had to do. But that was the game you had to play. You know, that's they the, these banks. They, it's not two thousand and five anymore. These banks are not giving away loans. They make you work for it. Um, and yeah, so that's what we went through. And but it ended up working out for us. Here's a here's another crazy thing that I found. I mean. For my husband, he's a United States Air Force veteran, so we can get a, a VA home loan, which is 0% down, no closing costs, which is amazing. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. And his his credit score was over 640, which is what they wanted to see, or over 620. I don't remember which right now. But there was one tiny little ding from the last 12 months. Listeners, you can't have one tiny little ding, which mm. sucks. I mean, because we're doing the best that we can, yeah. one bill late. And it's like a tarnish mark. So then we had to wait another yeah. year until that ding went away. And that's brutal because it's like there's, you know, you, 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 you the iron is hot. You're ready to strike. Also, the market, the housing market tends to go up. Prices mm -hmm. tend to go up. So, yeah, a lot of things can change in a year. Um, yeah, that's brutal. That is brutal. But that's the game. 
unfortunately, these God, these 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 uh, these bankers, they yeah, they have they're holding all the cards. Well, they're holding all the money. Oh, Let's they just totally are. Like that. And really I understand why. I mean, I fell victim to the recession. Well, you're you're only a year older than I am. I'm 39. We we might have been in New York at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah, I was oh, really? in Manhattan from 2001 to 2004. Yeah, we were. Yeah, I was there from, I graduated 02 and then left in 05. So yeah, we were there for a couple of years. Together. Yeah, I, I started working yeah. 46 and second in June of 2001. So I was a half block from the UN when the towers went down. What an experience. Oh, yeah, wow. that's where we had our first child, Rob. That's why we moved to Ohio. Like we realized, nope, this is just not what we're interested in. Yeah, yeah. I, LA, there, a lot of people left New York. I have family that won't even still in New York fly. They won't even fly. They're just they, it's just they're shell shocked from that. They have post traumatic stress and they just do not get on a plane. It's kind of it's kind of you know at this at this point you'd think wow it's I mean it's twenty years later almost or fifteen years later. Uh, this is um, it's like can you get over that? But some people just can't. It's like it was traumatizing that to be in the city at that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that was a. This is so not appropriate, and I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make a joke out of it, but that day was my fastest commute day home ever. I I had a coworker oh, who drove to work every day. Her husband, she lived in the Bronx. I was in Westchester. He wanted her to have the car in case one of their kids got sick, and we just hopped right on the highway. Mm-hmm. And I was home in 15 minutes because there was nobody on the highway, and that does not happen. I mean, that would be like saying there's nobody on the highway in L.A. It doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah, right. That doesn't happen unless it's two, unless it's like three o'clock in the morning. And even then you're probably going to get yeah. stuck in traffic because there's some road work yeah. going on. But yeah, I mean, t- totally, yeah, totally, totally off track and totally it's like a, a sad topic to be getting into. <laughs> in positive productivity. But, oh, but what I was going to say was, is that, you know, when it's unfortunate because we're, we're doing the best that we can. And in all actuality, if we could get the mortgage, then we would save money because well, we would be saving money in multiple ways. One, we would be building equity. Number two, that's right. Often, like w- we are prepared for our monthly payment to go down at least three hundred dollars when we're doing a mortgage instead of paying essentially rent. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you. So here's here was our theory behind it too, because we were paying two thousand dollars a month for a two bedroom apartment in uh in West Hollywood area, and we bought a house in what's called uh West Adams Jefferson Park area, right near USC, south of the ten Crenshaw. Uh, twenty like fifteen twenty years ago, this was south. This was part of South Central. Uh, lots of drug deals in this area, lots of gang activity in this area. Uh, but it's it's slowly changing over the last like fifteen years. But you know now it's rapidly changing. We're at the like the tail end of it. Um, however, when we moved down here, the to buy a house, it's at six seventy five, which is what we bought. The mortgage is roughly thirty five hundred, right? For with when you're talking about taxes and you're talking about your insurance, you're roughly putting in about thirty five hundred dollars a month to live in the house. But we had two one bedroom apartments in the back, and we thought, okay, if each one of those one bedroom apartments rents for a thousand, that's two thousand. That puts us at fifteen hundred dollars a month. So we're paying five hundred dollars less per month to own our house. And so, you know, own a house with, you know, and again, just like you're saying, putting in equity month, like monthly, you're putting in equity towards your home, towards something, not just throwing it at your landlord. Right. And, and so we did that for the first year. And when we, after a year, one of the girls moved out, or well, a girl moved out. It was a girl and a guy and she moved out and she went to back, she went to college in New York. And I said to Dev and I said, you know what, Dev, Airbnb is just starting to like pick up momentum. 
why don't we try it? What, what's the worst that happens? You know, it'll cost us a thousand dollars or so to decorate. It's a small one bedroom studio, uh, one bedroom apartment, about 400 square feet. We just put a couch, a nice couch TV. We decorate it really nicely. And, uh, and we posted it up on Airbnb. And I tell you within a couple of days, it was like booked out for the entire what? month. In a couple and, of days. Yeah. Like, yeah, like within a couple of days, it started to like book out and like, yeah. And like, maybe we got some traction after like a week or so it started to book out like 28 out of wow. 30 days. And we kept the price really low because what we wanted to do was build up our five-star rating and become super hosts, which is something on Airbnb. You can become a super host, which it just lets people know that they can really trust you, that you're mm-hmm. legitimate. And, uh, and now, yeah, that's how we, we have now the other guy moved out that was in the other air, the other apartment. So now we Airbnb both. And for a while there, we were, I mean, the the biggest thing is like, is the sticking points is like cleaning, right? What do you do when somebody leaves and you have another person coming in that evening and you, and you work like with clients and stuff and you have to be at a job. So we, so we had both of those going at the same time and we would have transitions sometimes two in a day. And so eventually we had to hire uh, a cleaning service or a cleaning person. One of our, somebody recommended our, a cleaner to us. And so we just pay that cleaner who's here. It takes them 45 minutes to an hour to clean it. And it's, it's a really fast turnaround. And so it's com- almost completely automated. The only thing that we have to do is wash sheets and towels you know, fairly regularly, which is kind of a pain in the butt. But at the same time, it now makes us, uh, our mortgage, like I said, is 3,500. It makes us 4,000 to $5,000 a month. Wow. So to have the Airbnb behind our house. Now, if you had this same deal in West Hollywood, you would be making seven to $10,000 a month because the, it's just, you could charge that much more. We don't charge that much because it's, it's in West Adams area, but yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. So that was how we were able to, just keep dumping money into our savings and get into another another apartment building. And then we also took out, because we don't have a loan, we took out a HELOC on our house, which was a home equity line of credit in order to, you know, once you have assets, you can start borrowing against those assets and utilizing that money in order to get into something else. You know, it's like you can snowball stuff. And that's why they say like the rich always get richer. That's how it, that's how they do because they have so much assets. But when you're just starting out, it's so hard to climb out of the hole uh, and, and, and every step of the way, the system makes it more difficult every step, which is, it's brutal. brutal. And it's, it's funny in a not funny way, because that was another sticking point for us getting our mortgage. We didn't have credit cards and they wanted to see credit cards on our credit report to show that we spend and pay responsibly. So we now in earlier episodes, I said we had one credit card with a $300 limit. A $300 limit doesn't do much to help mm-hmm. you folks. Let me just tell you about when you're in credit recovery, that's what you get. <laughs> so now we have two credit cards yep. with a $300 limit. But showing that we are responsible and that they're not maxed out, oh my gosh, it was like an instant 30 yeah. point. How do you, yeah. how do, how do, I'm curious, how do you pay for things? Do you pay for everything, everything by check? Everything with... Um, well, all my invoices, I actually like, use or, Harvest and I I use Harvest so clients can pay by check or they can pay um, with PayPal using their credit card. So it all okay. goes into my PayPal and yeah. then I can withdraw to my business checking. But I use I use yeah. PayPal to pay for everything I, and then I get cash back at the end of the month off my PayPal debit card. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I've – see, this is something that my mom did to me when I was young. At 18 years old, she got me a credit card. She covered the bill. 
it was like, I wasn't allowed to spend more than a couple hundred dollars a month. It probably, it was the same, probably $300 limit in college. But I eventually over time collected, now this is really dangerous when you're a kid and you have, and you're like starting to collect credit cards because I had like Discover card, Chase card, you know, Visa card, whatever it was, and started to collect them. However, I have a Discover card that has like a $30,000 limit on it. And I've had that account open since I was like 18 and I never use it. I never use it. And I called my credit card company at one point. And I go, you know, I think I said, I never use this card. I should close this account. The guy's like, don't be stupid. This doesn't cost you anything. You have a credit line of $30,000. This is this. You're going to need this. Like, you know, and he was like really honest. And I was like, oh, really? Oh, let me, I'm going to call. I'm going to talk to some people about this and make sure you're not lying to me. And it's, so that's true. the truth though. Like the more credit you have, the credit lines you have that don't cost you any money. Um, it's, that's something like our, when I bought this, when I bought this latest property, I put like $40,000 on credit cards in order to like complete the property and such. My credit dropped down to like 630 or 640. Now that might sound like it's not that bad of credit, but for me, I'm usually around 830. My credit's super high because I have so many credit cards and I've, and I only use two. I only have two credit cards, one's for business, one's for personal. And, but I have all the other credit lines still open. That's in order to, in order to like, just keep my credit, my credit like moving. And I put like two, $3,000 a month on my credit cards and I pay it all off at the end of the month. Like I don't, it's just like everything is a credit card transaction. And that's what, that's the, that's the kind of the proof, the credit proof that the, that the bank is looking for. And I understand people want to go off the grid. They don't want to necessarily be indebted to credit cards. They don't want it. That's a dangerous place to go. But if you can really utilize the system of it, it works out for you. On I was the listening end. to Dave Ramsey for a bit while we were working on our recovery, on our credit recovery. And I, I have to tell you, Rob, when yeah. I was 18, I opened up a whole bunch of credit cards too. And I was really responsible with them until in 2005, mm-hmm. I started my first business, which was an e-commerce shop. And I thought the more inventory yeah. I had, the more money I would make. I did it all wrong. So in the next five years, I built up a hundred thousand in credit card debt that I couldn't pay off because I, yeah. because I had opened those credit cards just like you had said when I was eighteen. I had those twenty five to thirty five thousand dollar credit lines, but I did everything wrong. But yeah. Dave Ramsey, he talks about how you should cr- close all your credit cards, listeners. I think Dave Ramsey's principles of paying off all your debt, just like Rob's already discussed, it's amazing. Yes, you should do it, but don't please don't close your credit cards because you do need that for your credit score if you're looking to buy something. And I know Dave Ramsey always talks about buying, you know, used cars with cash and all that. Yeah, that's great. But if you're not there yet, if you're struggling or if you're just not there yet with, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 in the bank, you can't. I wish somebody had told me, I mean, I had, I'd opened a department store credit card when I was in college so I could buy myself a bed for my first apartment. And as soon as I paid it off, I closed the card, but that would have been me now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know, there are a bunch of credit cards that cost a hundred dollars a year to have, um, maybe have one or two of those because they are usually stronger cards. They do give you more buying power. Um, a lot of times, but I would, yeah, like I only have one or two of those that are like, it cost me a hundred dollars a year to be, um, to be a member of it. Um, but yeah, I would just, yeah, don't, don't ever close those out. That's, that's, that's a, that's a big, big mistake. Rob, I need, I'm sorry. I need to interrupt I, um, you for a quick second. No, I'm was, not putting in an ad, folks. But I yeah. realized that I should probably put in a disclaimer 
considering I'm trying to recover my finances, mm-hmm. we are not financial advisors. Always contact your financial advisor for advice on what yeah. will be best for your situation. I just realized I better put that in there, you know, protect my butt. Yeah, you know, and I and I agree. You know, you were talking about buying uh buying a car, buying a used car. Now, say you don't have the cash to put down on a used car. However, you if you have an insurance like we have USAA as insurance and and I'm not sure if you do as well because your uh husband uh was in the military but Devin's dad was in the military so we qualify for USAA which is a military based insurance company that they only offer to usually uh uh vets and sh- sh- we got we can apply for loans through them and they give good and they give really good uh percentage rates so if you're going to buy a car from a so let's say you're going to buy a car from a dealer the dealer wants to finance you and the dealer is going to screw you on the financing. That's how they make the most of their money. They want to finance. They want to, They want to set up the loan for you because they make all that money. However, if you go through something like your insurance company, they might give really good loans for, and they can give you that money literally within two days. Like you can get $10,000 to buy a car in like two days and you're only paying, you know, 3% or something like that on that loan. It's, that's a better way to go about it than if you don't have the cash, but you get to only spend $200 a month on your car rather than going through the, rather than going through the, um, the, the, the actual dealer. Um, I did that with when I bought a car for, you know, off a of Craigslist from some, you know, some guy. I buy used cars. I'm I'm actually Clark Howard on the radio is one of those guys who I listen to very similar who's like, don't ever buy not that you don't ever want to buy a new car if you can afford it, great. But if you're if you don't think that, you know, if having a brand new car is not something that's really all that important to you, uh, because right when you drive it off the lot, it's it drops in price immediately. Um, you could buy it a year old with only 10,000 miles on it. And it's, and it's, it's basically, you know, $20,000 or maybe $5,000 less than you would have paid for it had you bought it a year earlier. So, and if you can get the, if you can get the, 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 uh, the loan through say an insurance company or an outside lender, uh, that gives you a really good deal. That's probably the better way to go than just walk into a dealer and buy one off the lot and have them do the financing for you. But again, I'm not a financial advisor, but that seems that's the kind of the way that I worked it in my life. And, you know, it's just I was trying to you, we try to finagle things, but we feel like we don't have many choices, but we have so many choices. Um, and, you know, it's oh just a matter gosh. of doing yeah. some research on your own. That's the that's the major thing. Listening to the productivity podcast for financial advice. That's the that's 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 your research. But it's so <laughs> but it's so important because there's so much. There's so much fluff out there on social media. And that was something that I learned in the last few years is that I needed to start unfollowing people who are only talking about how much money they were bringing in. But as we've already covered in here, there's so much money that's also going out. I mean, if yeah. I if I had to not claim any of my expenses for a year in the business so that I could get my house, oh my gosh, that would hurt so bad. I mean, there's there's two to four thousand a month. I mean, and I've already disclosed how much I pay for a house payment, you know, eight fifty. When it's two to four thousand a month for expenses, oh my gosh, that that would really hurt. But yeah. um, no, it, it, we don't need to drive the newest cars. We don't need to drive them off the new car lot to be successful. And I really believe that once we get that financial security, and financial security doesn't mean need to mean ten, twenty, thirty, a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. It can just mean that you're in the black for a change instead of being in the red. Rob, yeah. I drive a 1996 GMC conversion van. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, awesome. the thing was created before I even graduated high school. <laughs> but it cost us a whole 1300 And since then, we've only had to put, well, gas, gas has probably cost us more than the cost of the van. 
And mm-hmm. then I ran into the curb one day and the tire flew off. So we had to pay for that. But besides that, we haven't had to put anything else in. Don't let me drive your car. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I do the same thing. I drive a 2003 Toyota Matrix. Like I just, I, they don't even make those anymore. You know, I just, I drive an old beater. My wife has an 04. We, I would love to, to drive a Mercedes. I would love to drive a $100,000 Mercedes, but I just, it doesn't really, it's not a big thing for me. It's not, it's an ego thing. There's a lot of people in Los Angeles that make a lot less money than I do that are driving around, you know, they're driving around Maseratis or they're driving around, you know, beautiful BMWs that are like the the, the latest model. They're dropping $800 a month on their lease payment plus another $200 a month on their insurance. They're in for a grand just for their car. It's like they're not saving. So they're not less necessarily saving any money. And, and, Look, you know, if you want to if you want to live the life, there's there's a whole philosophy around. Hey, I um, you know, I just want to enjoy my life as it is, and great, enjoy your life as it is. I just, I know, I just have this fear uh, in me that I'm gonna get old because I, there's no guarantees. I don't work a union job like my dad did. When I'm 60 years old, there's I'm not gonna. I haven't been putting money into a pension. You know, I've I've I have a 401k that we put money into, but you know that that's not gonna that's not where my big payout's gonna go. So I have to figure out other alternatives. So I'm not gonna eat up the money that I have right now to drive around a flashy car so people think that I'm wealthy. And that's really the I, I like. I just need A to B. That's I just need to get from here to work, from here to the store, from you know whatever, and then go up to Santa Barbara once in a while for wine tasting. I don't care about anything else, but that's just me, you know. And the, but other people they have their own, they have priorities around why they want to spend money on cars yeah. um, or other things that you know. People are also they they rent apartments way outside of their means, which is bananas to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know they want to live in a safe neighborhood, but you know you're paying you're you're paying like. Three thousand dollars a month for a one bedroom apartment. And it's just you, and you you only make like five thousand dollars a month. Ugh, I I don't even I don't even know where to start. That, that I feel so really scary bad. Scary to me. Oh my yeah, gosh. and it's yeah. just them. And that's not that's not abnormal, especially in LA because it's so inflated here. The prices are so obnoxious. Um, yeah, it actually kind of pisses people off. Uh, the, the pricing. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, this is, you know, the, 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 in terms of, in terms of just, you know, the housing market and all that stuff, I mean, you can go round and round in circles forever on how it can, you know, drive you nuts. But, you know, in terms of just talking about your show and, and, and basically not having to be perfect throughout the process, realize that this is, this is just that this is a process. You're figuring this stuff out, um, whether it be your financial situation, whether it be your health, which is a lot of the stuff that we talk about on our show. We talk about, I mean, not to you know completely segue, but like that's that's a really big thing. People get really overwhelmed with not knowing how to do these things, whether it be how to buy a house or whether it be how to lose twenty pounds, how to, how to how to be healthy without feeling sick or tired all the time, you know. And there's there there are answers out there, but there's no one answer for everyone. So we can give you financial advice, but that doesn't mean that's going to work for you. I can give you health advice, but it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. But what I can say is that there are options out there. The only thing that you have to do as an individual is start trying them. Basically, we are we are little exer- experiments, right? We're these little individual uh, experiments where we get to test things out, see if they work for us. If they work, great, keep doing it, double down. If it doesn't work, then switch your your tactics and and change course. 
You know, it's um, you had uh, Melanie. Was that the girl who was on recently on your show? Yeah, Melanie DeRose. Yeah, Melanie DeRose. I was I was listening to that that episode yesterday on my way home from work. It was the only time I listened to podcasts is while I'm driving. Right. So uh, so she was saying something like at some point she realized in her business that she needed to to uh, to change. She needed to change course. She had had multiple. She had the fitness business and then she had gotten into this um, the, the the nutrition bars that those impact nutrition bars. And she was like, I need to we need to change tack right now. My husband and I need to change tack. We need to adjust for what's happening and move and start moving, which meant that she had to give up some things. And for a lot of us, we get so wrapped up in what's happening in our lives. We feel like we can't move. We're like chained to it. And she made she made a really good example of how when new opportunities present themselves, when new information presents itself, we can change course and it's up to us. You know, it's like, don't listen to that story that says that I'm stuck being this person or that I, I can't do this because there is no limitations, right? The only limitation is the one inside of our mind that keeps us there. We are responsible and it's, and I know that's such a difficult thing because people deal with anxiety, they deal with depression, they deal with all kinds of other stuff when it comes to like relationships and families and, and, and there's a lot of things sometimes holding us back and, and keeping us down. But as long as you understand that you do have the the opportunity and the and the and the real like you have the the willpower or not the willpower that's not even the right word but you have the choice as to how you deal with every single situation you know uh your choice on how you deal with it is the one true power you have uh you're not you're not necessarily uh a victim of it you are only a victim of it if you basically if you let yourself be right um, so you with your, with your, like figuring out your, your living situation and your, your mortgage and everything, even though the bank puts you back a year, that just gives you another year to kind of, to really set yourself up for the next one. Right. And the same thing for like, if somebody's, um, if somebody gets injured and they're healthy and they're, and they're, they're losing weight and they're really excited about like the fact that they're on course and then they slip and fall and sprain their ankle. And then they're, they're, you know, they're laid up for the next six weeks. They can't do hardly any exercise. Well, then like that, there's another opportunity that just presented itself to you in terms of really focusing on your nutrition, maybe, you know, or learning about something else that another way to work out that that eliminates you having to be up on your feet the entire time, you know, so there's all kinds of really, I mean, life just presents opportunities to us, right? We have to stay positive and rather than focusing on the negative issues that are in front of us. Amen to that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Were you in the room, Rob, when I shared the story at New Media Summit? Well, I asked I asked everybody, the participants, to raise their hand if they had ever received a disconnect notice or an eviction notice. A disconnect notice? Oh, no. I, did I? I don't think so. I don't there remember was a you small, asking that. There was what a happened? small panel, and Steve was asking us what changes had come into our life when we had hired a coach. So I started by asking everybody, when I when I was given my opportunity to talk, I asked people to raise their hand if they had ever in their life as an entrepreneur received an, a disconnect notice or an eviction notice. And out of the, how many people do you think that were there? Like 150 to 200, somewhere in there? Yeah. 150 participants, not included. I think it was 190 yeah. in total with the 40. Icons. Three people raised their hands. Maybe. That said they had received or an eviction a disconnect notice? notice. Yep. What's a disconnect notice? Is that an eviction? No, like Is that like be, you're kicked out or something? Um, electric or gas, oh. you know, pay your bill or else it's going to be shut off. Yeah. I got you. Okay. So we have had our financial struggles and I'm not trying to bring this down or bring this down. I'm. This is actually to laugh at it. 
when you are facing those struggles, just like Rob said, you can choose what you're going to do with it. We had our water shut off about a year and a half ago. We just didn't have the money to pay the bill. On the day that the water was shut off, it snowed. So we, mm. my husband actually told the kids to go get the snow. <laughs> They're like, he told the older boys, you can pee in the backyard, but bring the snow inside so mom can use the toilet. <laughs> but you better believe, <laughs> I didn't great. climb in the bed and cry about it. You know, yeah. we, we found the way. Where there's a will, there's a way. I never really understood that expression until I became an entrepreneur. But where there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. We had the water back on that day. And it was a matter of forty dollars. That's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend that it was a thousand dollar water bill. I'm talking about forty dollars. We have had those struggles where we didn't have the forty dollars. But where there's a will, there's a way. So don't let any of these little blips stop you ever. Yeah, that's I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. And, and even if it's the like you know getting your water turned off, obviously that's that's scary, um, especially when you have that many kids. You know, to just feel like when am, when is this going to come back on? Um, but you know, there's and then and then the the the, the scariness goes up from there, and that it, it can be it could be a situation that's much more dire, or um, potentially you know maybe financially it's much more much bigger, right? Not just $40, but maybe it is a, maybe it is a $10,000 something that could really sink you. Um, but there's always a solution. And then if there isn't a solution, you have to be, you have to be able to be the adult or like the nurturing voice inside your head and just be able to tell yourself, I'm going to be okay no matter what happens. Like I know, like the, if we've gotten this far in our life, right? If we're 40 years old, you got five kids, you got, you know, you've been able to do whatever you want to do. You're able to put a podcast on every single day, you know, of the week. Like if you're able to do certain things, you obviously are capable, very capable. And there are, you know, that there hasn't been a a point in your life. We always are Mm -hmm. afraid of the catastrophe. Usually it comes down to like, we think we're either going to die, be homeless, uh, be alone for the rest of our lives. But, you know, if that's, that's just your fear. That's not reality. All the evidence is saying that, no, I've been able to handle everything up until now. Maybe the water gets turned off for a few, for a few hours, but I, you know, I'm able to bounce back and I'm able to make the decisions uh, that are going to get me out of that. I just need to be presented the problem and how I deal with that problem and solve that problem is going to be up to me. I just have to be okay with not knowing. Yeah. You know, not knowing how this is going to be solved. This is the thing that drives people not nuts. You know, when you talk about anxiety, it's the not knowing that gives you anxiety. Oh, it's the gosh, not knowing. Yeah. When we live, when we live in the past, right? We live in a state of depression. We're focusing on that. When we live in the future, we live in a state of anxiety because we don't know how this is going to end. So we're always trying to future cast that. We're always trying to figure out what is going to happen. I am I'm guilty of this. I, I I make lists. I plan. I try to come up with every possible scenario so this way I'm not caught off guard and I don't have to be I, – I basically try to eliminate the idea, the possibility of me having to make a decision in the moment that's going to scare me, right? And that is and, – and there's no evidence in my life that says that I can't handle a situation in, in the moment. You know, there's no evidence in my life where I've dropped the ball so catastrophe, like such a catastrophe that that like I'm now homeless or that I've like I've done something where my, my wife is like, you know, she's like, I don't ever want to talk to you again. Like everything is about it really is about just trusting that in the moment you will be able to solve the problem. And if you in the moment and there is no like you cannot future cast, you cannot figure that out, stuff that stuff out in advance. You can you could you could chip away at things. But the only way to be happy is to live in the in, live in the present. 
right? You live in the past, you're in depression. You live in the future, you're in anxiety. You live in the present. That's the only time you truly can be happy. Absolutely. I had a guest on the show, Linda Lairhart. I I hope I'm saying her last name right. And she leads the Institute for Mindfulness. Listeners, Mm -hmm. I wasn't prepared to talk about this, but it's all about being in the now. And when I was reading through her bio and I started thinking about it, even just things like taking a shower, so many days I'm thinking about what I have to do next, what I have to do next, how I have to get the kids out of the door. But when I was reading her bio, it made me realize, oh my gosh, I can just stand in the shower and enjoy it. You know, I don't, Yeah. let's just bring the mind back to now because exactly. I, I do have one. Well, I have one more question before a couple of final questions. Rob, how often do you, do your plans stay on track? Or are you constantly course correcting? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, who has plans that stay not on me. track? I mean, <laughs> not, no, I don't think, you know, I don't think any of my, which is, you know, it's funny. Okay, so I'm listening to your episode about anxiety and you were talking about how you never had anxiety until after you, you know, after you started having kids and you didn't really experience anxiety. Um, I don't know how that's possible, Kim. Like, I was just like, what? I think I literally in my car was just like, what? She doesn't, she doesn't have, she never had anxiety before this. Like she's, you're describing anxiety. I'm like, you are like that, that is, and has been my entire life. Like I, I am like, uh, you know, I, I grew up. So I, 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 I go to a therapist and I talk about this on my show. So there's full transparency there. Like, you know, the only way I really think that you can get to the bottom and, and really solve a lot of the issues that you're dealing with, um, is by really digging in and finding why you do the things you do. And then therefore, when something comes up for you and you have anxiety, then you're like, oh, I see. This is attached to that. And it's not that's not the reality of what this situation is, what this situation is this. And you're having this in this in real time, in the now, having a conversation with yourself going, I have no reason to be anxious or I have no reason to be upset right now. I can this this problem or this this information that I just that I just took in uh, doesn't, doesn't define me. It's, 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 it's attached to a story that I've created for myself from childhood. And so one of the, one of the things I discovered really early on was this is how, this is how my, I think where my anxiety came from and I'm not blaming my parents, but you know, this is, I was, um, I came from a, you know, family, four older sisters. My sisters would drive my mom nuts, right? They just, it's just, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I was the youngest. I was, um, my sister, my oldest sister is 10 years older than me. So when I was five years old, my oldest sister was 15. She was a teenager. And that's what teenagers do. They drive their parents crazy. I know how that goes. So <laughs> I made a decision very early on that I wasn't going to be the, I wasn't going to be the child that drove my parents crazy. I was going to be the child that made my parents happy and made their life easier. I made that decision very early on. Like I didn't want to be, I always wanted to help them in a way or I, I just wanted actually what it, it wasn't even help them. I wanted to just do everything on my own so they didn't have to worry about me. And so I would, my parents, they didn't really read to me when I was a kid. I was, uh, I had, I had reading comprehension issues. I had to go to, I had to take specific classes for that. Um, there's a lot of insecurity around that for me as a kid because I knew that I was I was struggling uh, to basically get through a get through a book and like and actually grasp all of it. And so when I would have homework, it was tough. And my parents didn't help me with homework. My dad, his first language was was French Canadian. Uh, he moved here. He didn't really read quickly, and I felt like if I asked him for help, it would take <clears throat> it would be a it would it would be a uphill kind of conversation. Uh, I wouldn't be able to get too much help from him. Um, and then, but my mom, she was always so busy with the other kids. And my mom is, 
Uh, I, I think I mentioned earlier, like I'm a little OCD. My mom definitely has that on another level. She's always cleaning. She's always doing. She can't sit down really uh, for for long periods of time. And, uh, which, you know, is, is she loves that lifestyle for herself because she always feels like she's got something going. But, uh, but at the same time as a kid, it felt like I was, you know, I couldn't really go and ask for that kind of help. Uh, it wasn't really there. So I had to do all of that stuff on my own. So I would come home from school. I would start my homework. I would do it if I couldn't get it done, which was quite often. I couldn't get all of it done in the right amount of time. I would wake up at maybe 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. I would set an alarm. I would wake up and I'd do my homework. Now, I'm talking when I was like 11, like maybe 10 or 11. I would wake up at that time in the morning and finish my homework, whether it was a book report or whatever I needed to do. I would I would complete it in the morning before I went to school because I didn't want to bother my my parents with it. I had and I and I had all this anxiety that I was going to fail at school. And I knew my you know, my parents, you know, it's like at the time in the 80s. You didn't really, unless you were like nowadays, parents are much more aware of like putting pressure on their kids and going, Hey, you know, you got a, you got a 90. That's great. My mom, you know, her generally would be like, why didn't you give you like, why didn't you give you a 95? Or if I got a 99, she'd be like, why couldn't the teacher just give you one more point to give you a hundred? And so like there was, did your mom ever talk to your teachers? Uh, no, she never talked to the teachers, uh, to like complain about things, uh, to make sure that like they, they were like better doing a better job. No. They, there was hardly any communication between my parents and my teacher, um, which actually probably would have helped. Um, but, you know, they never really did that because I never caused enough problems where my teachers would contact my parents. The teachers had no idea how much work I was doing on my own. They had no idea how hard I was working in order to just turn out what I was turning out. I was waking up in the morning. Now, here's where my anxiety came from. I was applauded for doing that by my parents. I would wake up early in the morning and then uh, my, my dad would get up at 530 in the morning as well to go to work. He would see me. He'd be like, are you getting your work done? I'm like, yeah, I didn't complete. I didn't finish last night. He's like, OK, you know, and then he would go off to work. My mom would get up. She would see me. And then like if we were having a dinner party or something like that and there were friends over or she was my mom likes bragging about her kids. That's one of the things she does. I think all moms do. But she she would say to her kids, I mean, say to her friends, you know, Rob's such a good student. He like he did, you know, if he doesn't get his work done, he wakes up early. He makes sure he gets it done. So basically that was ingraining in me that that's normal. That's what I'm supposed to do. If I don't finish my work, I have to wake up early, sacrifice sleep, sacrifice, you know, uh, my own personal joy sometimes as a kid in order to get all the work done. And that's the that's the methodology that I've created that I created going through my adulthood. That's how and you realize you build all of these things. These are tools that you build, right, that get you through your life. Uh, You you in order to get things done, you pile it on as this, this big thing of anxiety and anxiety is what drives you. Uh, uh, Melanie, uh, Melanie, I, I think I keep saying her name is yeah, wrong. Melanie. But I think it's yep. Melanie was talking about how she would, you know, she's fear based. She's, uh, you know, a lot of her, the reason why she works so hard is because it's fear based. And that's not a good thing. It's not good to feel like the reason you're working so hard is because you don't want to fail. That's a really bad habit to fall into. And I struggle with that. The balance between not wanting to fail and wanting to and doing this because I really love doing it. And I, I have to fi- I have to find that line so much. And as an entrepreneur, that is that is a really tough road to plow uh, when you when you don't have the foundation from childhood to be to be nice to yourself. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So if we have those habits as a kid uh, that that drive us into adulthood. And then we realize there's some point whether it's in our 20s, our 30s, our 40s, sometimes in our 50s, we realize all these tools that I have don't work right. 
they're just like they're tools that I had in my tool belt or my in my toolbox that I took with me from childhood. They do not function well in adulthood. There's like in a New Yorker, you know, I don't know about you and you know in Rochester, but like in you know, there's a certain. It's funny when I see New Yorkers. There's a certain thing that New Yorkers do that are they're very defensive. They're very in your face. They like people say they're so like aggressive. And New Yorkers are so aggressive, and I and I think that that's true in a sense. But I think what and, – and, and I'm not like lumping all New Yorkers into this, but I can see it in some of the New Yorkers that I know. I can I, – I just look at them and I call bull crap. Like I just – I look at them and I just like there's no – no, I don't believe that what you're saying right now is true. I think what you're doing right now is completely defensive, has nothing to do with the situation, has everything to do with you feel uncomfortable and out of, and out of place right now and you don't know how to handle this situation and you're getting angry and defensive and, and coming at me really hard. And this is people across the board, not just New Yorkers, but I can see it in New Yorkers because I'm from yeah. there and I don't buy it. And that's a really – interesting thing to develop over time and that's only because of the work that i've done on myself when people come at me and they're aggressive and they're mean or they do and it's like wow i can really see how insecure you are you are just laying it all out there everything you're saying right now is not about me it's about you and it's and it's just and and because if i internalize that and take that on for myself which a lot of people do and then they go back to the drawing board and they're like why am i like this why do i do this you know and it's it has nothing to do with you when people are when people are digging into you and and putting you down it is everything to do with them and this is this is our this is our patterns these are our lifestyles that we kind of the way we deal with stuff that's how they deal with it right they don't want to deal with feeling insecure feeling like kind of feeling stupid. They don't want to deal with that. So they turn it around on other people. And, and maybe, you know, you, me, we all have different ways in which we deal with our lives, our lives and anxiety is one of them. And that, you know, for me, a way, a way for me to deal with stuff is to try to figure everything out and be perfect. And that is not a positive way. That's not a healthy way to live our life. So you, you have to really – that's why I think therapy is a really great thing. I think having a very open communicative relationship with your spouse, your husband, your wife, whoever uh, is a really important part of the puzzle. Um, and, and, then, and then creating the friendships around you that allow you to be open. Like you know, the fact that you and I could talk like this and be open, I think it also speaks to the level of depth that you're allowed to go to. You said multiple times in the show today, you're like, I've never said this before, which is amazing, Kim. I don't think you know how amazing that is as a person. You know how many people are so unbelievably – you're doing this in front of thousands of people. You're doing this for your entire audience. You know people would not say like that I go to see a therapist? They're oh, so yeah, embarrassed absolutely. by it. Their, their pride has – has got them so wrapped up where they wouldn't admit like how they struggled and they couldn't pay their water bill at one point. Like it's, it is, it is really, it's liberating to be able to talk about this stuff and not feel, um, not feel ashamed. And that, that is, if, if we could just get people to that point, and that's where a lot of this comes into. This is why I think one of the reasons why I love talking about health so much and helping people with their health because it's not about what you need to eat, Kim. We all know that like eating Cheetos and Doritos and and drinking Coca-Cola all day is not the smartest choice and yet we do that on a regular basis and we pretend that we just need to know what's healthy. And now maybe there is a little bit of learning about what is healthy, but in reality it just gets down to why are we doing this? What, why am I making the choice to like – to eat cheeseburgers three times a week when I know that it's, and I want to lose 40 pounds. Why am I doing that? What's got me doing that? What's, what's, what, what kind of like, what tape is playing over and over my head that has me doing that? So this is a lot of the stuff that we do. We talk about on our show 
you know, that, that I think is different than when you go and you listen to other podcasts about fitness and nutrition, we're a husband and wife team that are like, no bull crap. This is, this is your, this is like, this is what we're, we are dealing with. This is what our clients are dealing with. And this is the reality of being healthy. You know, yeah. that's the, I think that's the conversation to be having. Well, I, I just had to throw something in there. I have seen such a, I don't think parallel is the right word, but a connection between being healthy physically and being healthy financially. Because when we're mm. taking the steps to become healthier financially, then we're not putting all that often. We don't have a lot of that extra anxiety and depression and constant worry. At least this is my, this is my own experience with anxiety. And it can free up so much space to start taking care of ourselves physically. Can I make a suggestion Please. here? So I have clients that are worth over a billion dollars. I have clients that are worth hundreds of mm -hmm. millions of dollars and money doesn't make you healthy. No. It does make life easier because you have you. That's one less stress, right? We make money the big stress yeah. in our lives. We do. It is. It is. It is unbelievable. It's so debilitating if you cannot pay a bill emotionally, physically. It's just like, and then and financially, it's just debilitating. You're just scrambling and trying to find out how you're going to pay for that thing, or like, or save up for that thing if you want to change your life. Right? There's so much pressure we put on ourselves. But I, I know people that are worth lots and lots of money that do not make health a priority in their life at all. Yeah. And Rob, I'm not saying that money is going to make us healthier or happier, but having some sense of mental control over our money situation. Mm. I mean, I even had to reach the point where, okay, this bill is not going to get paid today, but I can't keep on worrying about it. Yeah. I, I can keep on worrying about it or I can go work on the things that I know I can control today. Yeah. And I'll add to that a little bit, like if in terms of the health aspect of this, um, because that's something that we really focus on, like your life, no matter where you are in your life, you are going to have stress. There's always going mm -hmm. to be a stress. There's always going to be something like a deadline or something you got to get done, whether it be, or maybe the kids are sick or whatever it is. There's just always stuff that is going to be impeding on your day to day that is going to like try to slow you down. Right it's very rare that we just like, oh, I got all day long to do stuff and I can go out to lunch with friends and do this and go to the beach and all that stuff, right? That's what, those days are very, very few and far between for most people. For most people, it's a grind. Day in, day out grind. From the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed, every day is a grind and they're trying to like financially pay for everything, squeeze in all the friends that they want to see, spend enough time with their kids and their families so this way they don't feel like they're complete, you know, completely disconnected. All of this is common, very, very common. The thing is, is that you have to, not you specifically, but you listening, have to choose if being healthy is going to be a priority, whether you have a ton of money or you have zero money. Is health going to be a priority? At some point in your life, this is just a fact, at some point in your life, health is going to become a priority. And it's going to be a priority because stuff's about to go wrong and you're going to, you're going to you're going to start realizing how important it was to have either a strong body to, oh my God, if I had had, if I didn't spend the last 20 years eating like this, this wouldn't be an issue for me right now. It's like you have to make the choice when it's going to be a priority in your life. And I, what I mean is, it's like, when is that going to be? The, really, the choice is right now, right? The, the moment is now for you to make that choice. And it's not a switch. It's not a turn it on, I'm healthy. And, and now I'm a 180 degree turn. And I, now I'm like eating bean sprouts and like, and like quinoa. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a slow course change your big ship in the in the ocean that needs to turn around and you need to like you need to change course it's a slow turn but that means learning 
right? That means just like paying off your debt, you chip away at it and you eventually get into the part where not only are you not paying off debt, but you're actually saving money and in, and in, you know, and in the black, right? We're making, we're not like, we're not burning money every day. And the same thing for your health, you get to the place where you're actually continually getting healthier. You're making progress. And for a lot of people, this is where they struggle because the turning of that ship is I haven't, I've been on a diet for the last two weeks, a month, and I haven't really all that lost all that much weight, or I've been trying these, these new things and I haven't really seen the results that I want to see. Um, so therefore I'm going to stop doing it. And this is, that's unfortunately being healthy is not, there's no end point. There's no goal overall finish line goal it's i'm gonna no i want to be healthy for the rest of my life and that's just gonna that's a choice we have to make whether you're rich poor uh have zero time have tons of time it's a it's a priority that you want to add to your life just like spending time with your kids like or brushing your teeth you're that's something you do you have to do it and we just made for some reason i guess it's a lot of us the way we were brought up not being healthy is just an easy thing to continue on with like not practicing any of those things is an easy thing to continue on with because, you know, we never had to in the past. And then it just keeps getting further and further and further away from us, unfortunately. Absolutely. Rob, I'm going to put in the show notes, listeners, listen to episode 275, Stop Shortcutting Your Healthcare. Rob, just, just a month ago, I was actually in the hospital for a couple of days because at 38, I just turned 39, at 38, I started experiencing the symptoms of a heart attack. Come on, really? Oh yeah, I had hy- hypothyroidism since birth. Okay. And I had been neglecting my own my own healthcare. I wasn't going to see my endocrinologist. I was just going I was taking the shortcuts going to see the local, you know, clinic at the grocery store because it was right here. Yeah. And and my thyroid levels got all out of whack. So in the hospital they were like, "Have you been taking your medicine?" Well, yeah, I've been taking it. So just those just stop Stop shortcutting your healthcare. Stop shortcutting mm-hmm. your finances and start. I don't want to call it a fast track to success, like financially and healthfully, because there, but because there is none. There is, there no is none for either. But right. just stop shortcutting yourself because the shortcut yeah. does not lead anywhere good. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't lead anywhere. Not even anywhere good. True. It just doesn't lead anywhere. Yeah. yeah. It's just like it's a, it's a dead end. Yeah. You'll get there. You'll be racing up it and you'll realize, wow, there's nowhere else to go. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just have to put That's, it in there. And now I'm going to have to put an E on, but then you're going to be like, oh shit, what did I do? Right. <laughs> that's going to be, and that's what laying in that bed. That's what I was thinking. Oh shit. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a scary, it's a scary thing. Uh, when your body starts, um, telling you it doesn't like what you're doing. Yep. You know, and it's like, I, and, and this is, there's, this is the thing that, bo- that bothers me the most. I, I work with people over 300 pounds that, you know, like I work with one-on-one and it's a slow transition because you, you have to unlearn a lot of things or you have to, you have to just, uh, you know, it's just like what I was talking about with therapy. There's so much therapy involved in, in, in the way, in the way we are, um, and, and losing weight and getting, getting to a place where we really want to be, um, Yes, we are a take a pill kind of society. We are a quick fix kind of society, get rich fast kind of society. Everybody's selling it and it's oh, it's such a it's such a cluster f bomb of a place for us to live in when it comes to how do I do this? And and when you Google search anything, it's like the people who are paying the biggest amount of money, you know, you're going to see first. You're not going to get the actual people that could help you, 
unfortunately. You're just going to see the people who are advertising really fast, really well, and that have the best marketing. So that's that's kind of that's the scary thing when it comes to building a business. People are going to tell you you could do it fast and furious, and in eight weeks you could be making twenty thousand dollars a month. And then people are going to tell you in terms of your health, you can lose twenty pounds in ten in in like two weeks, and you'll be healthy for the rest of your life. And then that's it, band aid on it. Like don't worry about it. You're going to be good. You'll live till ninety. Um, I it, it just doesn't exist. It's like it, you know, there's what's his name. Um. Uh, godfather of like health and wellness. Who's the old guy that died? That's just recently at like ninety three. Jack Lalanne. Jeez, I couldn't remember. Can't remember his name. He was like he was. He said only eat things that are man made. Like that was his rule. But I mean, don't eat things that were man 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 made. Basically, don't eat anything from a factory. Something that, like so a man had to create, right? Or man or person, right? Had to create. He said just um eat like basically eat a whole food diet and you're good to go. And that was like that was his whole entire philosophy, which is like genius back in the 50s, you know, when we were just we were all tuning into microwave dinners. And there was the it was like, you know, everybody was figuring out how to do like packaged mashed potatoes and nobody was focusing on real foods. Everybody was focusing on convenience and all the companies were focusing on convenience. And this guy, Jack Lane, is like, don't don't fall into that trap. Real food. That's what we need. And so it's uh, it's it's not. It's not unbelievably complicated when things start going wrong and you have thyroid issues, you, if you have autoimmune diseases, um, which is very, very common these days, then you need to get a little more complicated in your health and your wellness. But if you just want to get healthy, there's just very simple rules to live by. Do you want me to tell you what they are? Please. Literally? Yeah. So eat. So don't eat processed food. Don't, don't eat added sugar, right? So basically what that leaves is, is basically whole foods, all kinds of meat, fish, um, uh, you know, uh, vegetables, nuts and seeds. If you, if you are a person who can digest grains, um, I don't necessarily, we don't subscribe to people having grains, but basically just eat real food, whole foods. If it was alive at one point, uh, whether it be growing on a tree or some kind of vegetation or, or breathing at some point, eat it. If not, don't eat it, right? If you never saw a Dorito tree, uh, then you can, you can guarantee, you know, like you wouldn't, like, you wouldn't be able to get my, I'd be, I'd plant my ass underneath that thing and just be like, this is where I'm going to spend oh, I know. under that Dorito tree. You know, same thing with like Coca-Cola. We don't drink, we don't drink as a society. We don't really drink water. It's kind of, you know, it's like we do now a little bit is like in the bottled sense, but like we, we are like gearing away from that and, and sports drinks are just, again, it's just added sugar, sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like the big thing. And then when it comes to, if you have a lot of weight to lose, you don't necessarily need to be hitting the gym and doing some crazy workouts. What you need to do is just create some habits that are like physical habits. And there was this guy, Dan John, I had on my show is really well known in the well, in the fitness world. He was like, one of the habits he has people do is I want you to get dressed into your workout clothes, right? Shorts and t-shirt, put your sneakers on. And for, especially this, is especially if you have like a lot of weight to lose, I want you to walk out to the driveway and back for two weeks, literally yeah. just walk out to the end of the driveway and back for two weeks. And then, and then after two weeks for the next two weeks, I want you to walk to the end of the street and back. And then for the next two weeks, I want you to walk around the block, you know, fully. And then, you know, and eventually, and so eventually what you're doing is you're blocking out time that is yours for being, for doing something physical. And it starts out really small, putting your clothes on, takes you maybe two minutes to do, walking to the driveway and back maybe takes a minute, right? So three minutes out of your day. Now, if you cannot do that, if you cannot make that a priority, then I don't know really how to help you, right? Because you have to help yourself. 
So that's where, that's where, you know, just these little things, eating whole foods, that's not an easy thing to do, especially if you live in a family like mine when I was growing up where, you know, spaghetti and meatballs was like every Sunday, bread was on the table every single day, cereal for breakfast, donuts on, you know, donuts during the week, sandwiches every day in my lunchbox. Like that's hard to do, right? There's a lot of transitions, but you do one thing at a time, you start to slowly tur- turn the course of the ship and you, and then you head back the other way towards being healthy. But it's, you know, those are the things that you start moving towards eating whole foods and moving and doing something every day. And then you could start elaborating. Then you could start getting a little more crazy and, and, uh, and trying new things to really start fine tuning your health and wellness. That's cool. But other, uh, but before then, just try to change the course. Don't do the, you know, I mean, P90X is great, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really, it's like, it's so fast and furious and it, it doesn't re- – I, I don't really necessarily subscribe to their nutrition style that they offer in there. It's more of like a fat-free diet or a low-fat diet. That's not my thing. But you know, like people do this for two, three months and they have no support systems after that. Now what do you do? Right? You're kind of left high and dry trying to figure this stuff out on your own in a lifestyle that, was never tra- that has never changed. Right. Those are the, the big needle movers for most people. And I think that that'll really help a lot of people if they just start making those smaller choices. I, I want to ask one last question. What about accountability? Mm-hmm. What do you think is the best way to to hold yourself accountable to make these changes? So there was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for, for, okay, so here's an example for me. So I have the same struggles as everybody else, right? Like I do, I, I've, okay, so in the past I've done multiple things. One was I've signed up for races, 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, triathlons, um, mud runs, right? I sign up for these things. I know they're two months away. I don't, I have to do it, right? I, I paid money. I'm going to show up on the day. And so I know I have to train for that. So that's one thing, right? So if I'm doing an Olympic try, I'm swimming a mile in the ocean. I'm running for, you know, six miles and I'm biking for 24 miles. I got to be ready for that. I can't just show up and think I'm going to be able to do it. So I got to train for that, right? That's one way. So you basically just sidestepped accountability. You became, you made yourself have to be accountable to that one moment in time, right? However, when the day comes, if you don't have another race set up for maybe three or four or five months in, you know, future from, from there, well, then you might fall off, right? So that's, that's one, there's like a hole there. There's a small hole there, right? Um, for me, I signed up for a men's physique competition where I gave myself nine months to, uh, to basically gain a whole bunch of muscle mass and then drop it all down. I had never done, that was when I was 35 and I'd said to myself at 36, I want to be in the best shape that I've ever been in my life. Um, I did that later in life after I had, you know, I gained 30 pounds of muscle mass and then dropped off a whole bunch of body fat and, and looked the best I'd ever looked in my life at 36 years old. And I'd never done that before, you know, but I did have a, I, I, I'm not going to say that I don't have a history of understanding how to work out. Obviously I'm a personal trainer. I was an athlete as a kid growing up, but I did struggle with my weight in my, in my late twenties, early thirties, um, because I didn't know how to eat right. That was something that I've slowly changed the course of over 10 years. It was a lot of learning for me. Uh, I used to show up at the track and eat a cheeseburger or like a chili dog right before I would go run with friends. Like that was the, I was like, I'm just, I'm doing something active, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have a chili dog before I do it. So I have some energy. That was my philosophy around that. But you know, um, in terms of other accountability that you can have is you can join things like join groups of people you need to um, you need to find a community that that are all like minded that want to do the same thing you want to do and that are going to like take action and help you stay accountable. 
That's another one. You could hire a trainer, right? That's another way to stay because then you're, that's what I do. That's what my clients do. They pay money, a lot of money to hire someone to just, to just like make sure that they're doing what they should do. And this, the, nobody's going to be accountable to somebody that they do not respect. That's a really important lesson that I learned over time. You have to respect and not want to let down the person that you're being accountable to. And so it's a really, so being accountable to your husband or your wife saying, hey, babe, just make sure that I don't, uh, I don't eat cheese or I don't eat ice cream for the next like month. And it's like, okay, yeah, great. So we won't keep it in the house. So then you bring home the ice cream and the, the hus- your husband's like, hey, Kim, what are you doing? Why are you eating ice cream? Like you just, you told me that you don't want to eat ice cream. Why are you doing that? You should throw it away. And you're like, mom, I'm just going to finish this one. It's like, you know, there's no accountability there because the, there, there's no power struggle. There's no you letting him down and feeling bad about letting him down. So you want to outsource the accountability. That's usually one of the best things to do. And then, yeah, just making decisions in your life that really kind of money down, setting a time limit on when you're going to complete something due, announcing it publicly that you're going to be doing it. So if you signed up for a 5K or 10K, invite friends to do it with you. You got to show up on that on that day to do that thing that everybody said that they that they all showed there showed up there to do it with you. So that adds some accountability, you know. So you have to kind of trick yourself into doing it, and then eventually over time you build up the habit of of exercising, working out, and then then and only then will it kind of be this this perpetual motion that you're like, oh, I actually, you know what? If I, I didn't run today and I feel really like sluggish, it actually running makes me feel good. So that's like, then you start associating being physically active or eating healthfully uh, to actually feeling a certain way, which I'm telling that's a whole nother conversation of people not even paying attention to how they feel compared to what they're doing. So yeah, so those are some ways in, or, in ways in which to stay accountable. And we actually, I mean, not to like plug it, but we have this challenge that we're, we're hosting right now that I don't know when this is going to post. I think you said like mid-April, but we have a challenge. It's like an eight week challenge that is daily accountability and the community is very, very small and they all post how their workouts went that day. They post how their nutrition went that day, that day, whether they drank their water that day, whether they, you know, ate their vegetables that day. And it's like, we pick these very, very, um, specific, uh, kind of habits that people, that people want to build. And we, we do daily accountability. Everybody checks in and then weekly accountability. So this way nobody falls through the cracks. And that's something that we really focus on. I think that's more important than knowing what you should eat is having someone basically to answer to, or at least, you know, if you, if you can't do it yourself, does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. And actually your episode is going to be going live at the end of March, 2018. Listeners, if you want the links to anything that we are talking about, you can go to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP302. I have been sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, should I do this? Should I not? I I, I do have a quick question before I say Mm -hmm. what I was thinking though. What about coffee? Coffee beans, they grow. Does that mean they lived? Do I need to get up coffee? Yeah, and actually I have I have <laughs> no it's so, okay. So if you know that coffee, that's a good question. So if you know that coffee uh, creates anxiety for you, right? If Mm-mm. it if, if it literally leaves you jittery and feeling yeah. like uh terrible, first of all, maybe coffee's not good for you. Maybe it's not a, a best the best thing for you if you're a high anxiety person. Now, um it's also the quality of coffee you're drinking, Kim. Right. So a lot of times people are buying um they're buying Folgers Crystals, they're buying Maxwell House, they're buying this really junky, uh, we don't even know if it's fully coffee, right? It tastes kind of like wood and coffee mixed together, right? (laughs) 
But if you invest, there's some great coffee companies that you can invest online, but you can also go to your, to your roasters and like, and buy coffee beans from in LA. We have really high end, like pour over coffee places. You could like intelligentsia or like Andante or, uh, there's just, there's just blue bottle. They're out here. You could buy their coffee. And if you're only drinking one cup of coffee a day, it's going to be cheaper than even going to Starbucks and buying a cup of coffee. Like, don't buy your coffee at Starbucks. They burn their beans. They do it so they all taste the same. They will want to make sure it's you know uniform throughout all of their all of their stores, and they don't pick the best quality. It's just it's just it's a it's a franchise. It's a chain. They're not going to be hand picking. But if you go to a place like Blue Bottle, who you know, who when you buy their beans, it might cost you fifteen bucks for the week to get through a week of beans, right? Because that's maybe a, a half a pound or a pound of beans, right? For them, well, right. that'll last you an entire week. If you go into Starbucks three times, that's fifteen bucks, right? Right. And if you're drinking it with just say a little bit of cream, like I don't mind like half and half or full cream. But when we start getting into this again process, so you squeeze it, it comes out of the cow. That's milk. That's now yes, it's 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 raw milk, right? We have to pasteurize it slightly so this way uh, you could buy raw milk, which is fantastic. We highly recommend raw milk if you can digest milk. That's totally cool. Um, but if you were going to get it out of the cow, that's that's straight. The more processing it has then the further away it gets from than mother nature, then the, the bigger problem I have with it. So mm-hmm. if you're getting 1% milk, if you're getting skim milk, fat-free milk, that's not how milk was designed. Right. So we want it in its most natural form. Again, if you can digest it, if it doesn't make you gassy, bloated, uh, doesn't give you like eczema, these are all autoimmune issues that you're going to run down, run into down the line if you are eating foods that consistently or drinking things that consistently give you um, – allergic reactions, you are going to come down with an autoimmune disease. Guess what? Arthritis is autoimmune. So if you have arthritis and you're consistently eating or drinking foods that are uh, creating inflammation, an inflammation could be in the form of like, I, my, my belly swells up after I, after I drink coffee. I have no idea why. Or I get gassy around you know 10 o'clock in the morning. Every morning, I have no idea why. Well, it's probably because you have milk in your coffee and you're just, you know, you're not paying attention to the fact that that's the thing that does it every single day. My sister had the same, same thing. She's like, Rob, I'm so gassy right after lunch, like two o'clock in the afternoon. I have no idea why. I think it's the, I think it's the, the, the uh, I don't know. She's like, I think I'm allergic to like the ham or something at the, at the at the school because she was a teacher and and i'm like what else are you eating she's like well i have a ham sandwich with chips she's like do you think it's the chips and i go i don't think it's the chips she goes and then i just have and then i have like they have uh, chocolate milk and a and something else and i was like uh did you try not drinking the chocolate milk because you know and and so she cut that out and literally the gas stopped immediately oh my goodness it's like we are not meant if we are this is the thing that i don't think people will say to you all the time i mean not necessarily you but me all the time they'll say i'm just a gassy person just the way i am my whole family's gassy and if they say that to you that just means that they have done zero work on figuring out what makes them gassy they just accept that you know i have eczema that's something i have a lot of acne that's another one. I have arthritis. Nothing I can do about it. Doctor says nothing I can do about it. I'm getting old. You know, like this is, these are what the doctors don't talk about. They don't talk about how your food, it's the only thing we put in our body. Why would it not affect how our body runs? It's mind blowing to me. It's like our doctors are, they, they take one nutrition class. So therefore they don't even mention nutrition. They try to, they try to give us pills or they try to cut us open in order to solve these problems. But in, in reality, it's like if I dumped, if I dumped gasoline with sugar in it in my car and expected it to run right, it's going to eventually just come to a stop and stop working. That's what happens with our body. The only things we can put in our body is fuel is, is either liquids or solid foods. 
And if if they are not optimal for our specific body, if you're a Ferrari, you run on one kind of gasoline. If you're a Yugo, you run on a different kind of gasoline, right? We put higher grades in, di- in different people. So certain people are Ferraris. They need they need very very specific types of food, very specific uh uh you know like types of uh, liquids that they should they can and they can consume in order to make sure that that Ferrari runs properly, right? But we don't want to do that. Most people don't want to do that because they're buying into the fact that this is just the way I am, and it's really unfortunate to me. It drives me bananas. And this is and, and people have to unlearn this. They have to unlearn this thing about themselves that they think is normal. Most people don't care that they have like, I, I had a, I had a woman that I worked with one time. She had, um, she had a uh, celiac. And if you're not familiar with celiac basically means you have a complete gluten intolerance. You cannot consume gluten and it just throws your entire body off. You have diarrhea, you have all kinds of stuff. And there was a woman that she said her sisters, like she realized this about herself and her sisters also have the same issue. However, her sister likes the fact that she's celiac because she poops out all of her poop. She she gets when she gets like it keeps her thin. She likes her disease oh, because goodness. it keeps her thin. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's like, where do you go with that person? Because she's completely created a lifestyle around this that saves her from ever having to gain weight. And because the most important thing is the weight, not necessarily the health. So flash forward 20 years from now, nice skinny girl looks whatever is going to have all kinds of problems. And that's just uh, that's that's just not okay with me. That just drives me bananas. So I don't know. Rob, when I was in the hospital, even though I have, as I already said, I've been taking my thyroid medicine, but my body just isn't Mm -hmm. accepting it for this month for March of 2018. I am on the same diet that I've been on is I'll just call it the lazy diet. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And at the end of the month, I'm being tested for celiac. So one way or another, like even if the tests come back negative for celiac, for the month of April, I will be going gluten-free. Oh, good. Because I did not realize that celiac or gluten intolerance does actually increase anxiety or it can. Yeah. And there are so many other symptoms. I mean, I'll, I'll get hot feet in the evening after eating carbs. There we go. Or my ears will start itching and I am done with that. And actually eczema on my elbows, especially. Yep. The commitment that I am going to make right now, talk about being accountable for my 40th birthday, March 2nd, 19. Uh, yeah, 19, 2019. That's, I'm going to be the healthiest I've ever been on my 40th birthday. Love it. What does that mean? Can you come back then? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to, I am going to start working out six days a week. Okay. That's, a, that's, that's, that's a big jump. I just want to point that out. Well, even, it, even just to start, if, if that just means to start that I need to go out and start walking around okay. the block, then I will right. do that. But eventually by then, I would like to be going to the gym at least three days a week, but I'm at least doing something physical besides walking to the kitchen the other three days. You know? Well, I'll, you know, I'll invite you, Kim. I'll invite you. So on April 23rd is when this next challenge starts for us. Yeah. Okay. For the, for, for my group, my, for in this, in this community that we're, that we've created and I'll invite you in. We'll talk about the logistics of that. Um, but it's six days a week of body weight workouts, which are only 20 minutes, right? So it's, so the time commitment is not all that much. The, and, and it all depends, like when we're talking about body weight, you know, if we're talking about pushups, it's about how many can you do? Mm-hmm. It's not about like you have to crush you with pushups, right? So it's, so it's, it's, that's very specific. The thing about like going off on your own and doing six days of doing physical activity without anybody to answer to is going to be a, like, what's, I'm not saying you don't have the fortitude. 
Um, but it's going to be there's a mo- there's going to be a moment where willpower is no longer there. This where is you've depleted it. There's a 24 right? hour fitness two minutes from my house with personal trainers right. in there. Right. So if you want to talk about like if you want to change things around, I'll invite you into this thing to do this with us. It's eight weeks long. And it's, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily end there, but like each individual challenge, every three months we do another eight weeks and then we have a transition between hand where everything kind of, we, we, uh, we, I don't want to say dumb it down, but we make it, we, we take the notch down like five pegs and we say, okay, now we're maintaining between until the next challenge. And we're just, we're just, we're going into a transition phase here. And so everybody pulls back a little bit. They get to recover. They get to get their life back. Maybe a little bit if they feel like they were going fast and furious for eight weeks and then they gear up for the next one and so it's it's an ongoing thing the community stays there the entire time so you have people to answer to you create friendships you create circles around like of people that really do want to achieve the same things you want to achieve and that is what that's what pulls you through on something like this it's nothing harder than doing it on your own especially when you're trying to learn at the same time as doing right you do your business how hard is it to do on your own and at the same time learn because you have to learn the entire time it's such an uphill battle that's why we hire coaches business yep. coaches yep. right why do people think that they have to learn know how to be healthy you think that you're supposed to walk into 24 hour fitness and know what to do when you get there which is just like, like an it's idiot. so bananas yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like okay let me hand you a computer now go start an online right, business right. you know it's like what so, you know, we don't, we don't realize that like, this is not, this is, this is a learned thing. I've spent a lifetime learning this. People who are healthy have spent a lifetime learning it, or at least they've spent the last X amount of years learning how to get to where they are today. Don't feel like you have to know this stuff right away. Like, that's what I was saying, like jumping in six days a week on your own, not knowing what you're going to what you're supposed to do. And then also like, like not having a sounding board of going, should I do this? Then you're going to be learning along the way going, oh, maybe I should try this. Maybe I should try this. And then eventually we kind of spin out and we get sick of it and it's un, it's unmanageable. Right. Right. So, yeah, this, you know what I'm saying? And then there's the whole nutrition part of it, not just the workout stuff. And then the managing it, how do you manage it into your lifestyle? Right. Then it's like it's got to exist within the world you already have. You've created a world. You got five kids running around. Your husband's out working a job. You are the you are the 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 breadwinner in your family. You are responsible. This is this is your this is your all of this is on your shoulders, and you want to be healthy at the same time. Oh yeah, I have great so grandbabies to like? see someday. Right, right. What does that look like for you? You have to create that world. It's not a it's not on a dime. You can't create it on a dime, but it does take work and it does take time. So you have to start carving it out. And if you're going to do it all on your own, it's going to be really, really hard. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sense? And I'm not I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm no, just trying, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> going at it alone. No, nope. I'm going yeah. to make sure that good. Well, number one, I have the accountability, and number two, that I have the support and the and the coaches. I need to do yeah. this for me. And yes, I do. Yes. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Nobody else. Gave up so done. Nobody else is. This is. Yep. Hey. Yep. Oh crazy. my gosh, that was a beast. Yeah. Rob, I am taking <laughs> so much of your time today. This has been absolutely amazing, though. This is. I'm. 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 I'm so excited. What are we? We're. we're I think we're recording for we over an hour been. and a half. That's I, I've never. I, I have a, I have a thing. It's a personal goal that no matter how many people like have a podcast, I want to beat every single one of their numbers. But I don't think I, I'm going to do it because I think you had Cliff Ravenscraft on. I'm scrolling down. He was an hour and thirty nine minutes, and I think he got me topped. And Cliff is amazing. So, but I'm I'm happy to be a second runner up to Cliff, though. 
um, I'm going to send him an email. And I'm going to say, you know, you have 139. I'm going to settle in at 130. I don't know where we're going to where we're going to. <laughs> Unless I have some amazing story that's got you on the seat of your chair. Uh, I don't I don't think I'm going to be able to pull that off. Well, we still have the intro and the outro. I, I actually do. I'm going to help you just one more quick second or a okay. minute. <laughs> okay. Listeners, I've shared this before on the podcast, and I just want you to keep this in mind. My husband, a year before we got married, was actually homeless. And I didn't share this earlier, Rob, but he was homeless living in his car in Fargo, North Dakota in the middle of winter. Mm. He was born into a blue collar family. He lived in trailer parks. He dropped out of high school. And then he joined the service. Um, he joined the service after he and his first wife, who was his high school sweetheart, got pregnant. But that did not stop him. And while there was that initial mindset of this is how my life is and this is how it's always going to be, when you, I, I don't remember who first said it, but you become the average of the five people that you spend the most of your time with. He has constantly increased that caliber of the people that he's spending his time with. Yes, he is still working out of the home full time. In retail, but he did go back to school and he got his college degree so he could pursue his dreams and he's actively building that. But he's gone from being homeless living in his car to, I mean, we're just about to buy a house and all these kids and college degree. And I mean, who knows? He could be the next Minecraft developer with a billion dollar game, but that's only because he didn't stop. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And it's, it's all, it's, you have to believe in yourself. You really do. I know it sounds really tough for a lot of people. It's like I just because it's like the the hardest person to believe in is you. Mm-hmm. You know, we look at other people and we're like, that person's got it. We look at that person. It's like, oh, if that person just saw their potential, they would just be so amazing. And 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 when you whenever you say that, you should just know that the person you're talking about is you. Yep, it really is. There we have so much potential. There's nothing holding us back. There's no difference between you and somebody who's super healthy, or there's no difference between you and somebody who's super rich. It's it's literally now maybe they've had an easier road, yes, but you know, you can forge that road, you can blaze that trail. It's all up to you on how hard you want to work and and really just and it and working hard is not really the thing. It's working smarter. Yes. It's just not trying to make it a grind and enjoying. And one of the things that you, you said you're going to ask me at the end of the show is basically what are some like parting words of wisdom or some parting things. And one of the things that I, I have on my my board, and I've said this multiple times on my show, is uh, is always remember the process is the result. So we, if we're chasing, you talk about chasing the money. If you're chasing the money, you'll you'll never get there. Because the joy of it will never be there, which means you'll always have further to go. Further to go. It doesn't matter if it's a million dollars that you already have in the bank, and now you're going to need two because it's always chasing, chasing the carrot, right? But we have to remember that the process is what we are, what we need to focus on, right? It's it's the intention behind our goal that is the most important piece of the puzzle. If we have, say, I was going to go on a hike, right? My goal is to get to the top of that hill right? But my intention is to enjoy the hike, right? I can get, I know I can get to the top of that hill if I work really hard. I can get there really fast if I run. I can get there slow if I just, if I just walk, but I know that I can get there, right? I know what it's going to take. But if I just put blinders on and I just get to the top of the hill, what was the experience? Really, what was the experience for me? So if my intention is to enjoy the hike itself, well, then I stop along the way. I chat with some people, 
I have a little conversation here and there. Maybe I see some flowers and I pick some flowers and I smell some flowers. Maybe I stop and I, I don't know, I just like sit and I stare off into the, into the, you know, to the horizon and I just chill there for a few minutes. And then I walk along and maybe instead of it taking me 25 minutes to get to the top, it takes me two hours to get to the top. But I'll tell you right now that two hours to get to the top is going to be a memory that's the only thing we ever get in life is really memories. It's the only currency we truly have is the memories we have. At the end of the day, that's all that's left is the memories. So how do you want to remember that hike? Do you want to remember it being fast and furious or forgetting how you got there, just knowing that you got there? Or do you want to remember every step of the way and how amazing and gorgeous it was? And that is the difference between you know being like that, – that, that is the process is the result in a nutshell – Focus on the process. Focus on the now. We're only happy in this moment. This is the only opportunity right now at this moment as you're listening to the show. It's the only moment for you to be happy. Put a smile on your face. Look out the window of your car and just be happy and be like, wow, I'm alive. I, I, and I, can, I have every choice in my life to make changes. It's all up to me. I can do whatever I want in my life. I can quit my job or I can take a new job or I can or I can, you know, I can go to the gym today. I can eat healthy today. Whatever it is, I can I have the choice right now to do that. Right now in this moment. Tomorrow, who knows? If I think about tomorrow though right now, then I'm going to then I'm just going to like future cast. If I think about the past and how sad it's been for me or how hard it's been for me, I'm going to be depressed about that. So just focus right now in the moment and right now in the moment is part of the process, right? We always have goals. We have things we're, we're working towards, but focus on right now, the moment, how you're experiencing that. And that is what's going to make your life enjoyable and really worth living. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Wow. I'm not going to ask you for a closing piece of parting wisdom because that was just wow. <laughs> wow. But with that said, where can listeners find you? Yeah. Because I know they want to know more and connect. Well, of course. Thank you. Uh, yeah, they can. Well, openskyfitness.com is my is the website. Um, if they're interested in joining this challenge, it's openskyfitness.com slash challenge is where they can find it. But if you just want to hang out with me and Devin, my wife, who is, you know, just, you know, well, she's the prettier version of me. Uh, she is uh, we hang out at the open sky in the open sky fitness podcast group on Facebook. So that is uh, that is our community of people that listen to our show that believe in our philosophies. I was talking about hiring a business coach. I had a business coach talking to me, not just maybe last week. Was like, "Hey, Rob, you have this, you have this Open Sky Fitness podcast group. It only has like eight hundred and fifty people in the community. Why don't you just invite all your friends in there and just like dump all your friends and your family and everybody in there so you have a bigger community?" I go because I don't want to water it down. These are people that live that they live and breathe our message. They, they listen to our show and they're like, I totally agree with what you're talking about. I totally agree that calories aren't the important thing. I totally agree that being happy in your life is actually more important than actually losing all that weight. I have all these things that I line up with you in terms of your, in terms of your philosophies on life and how to live that I don't want to distill it down with, or I don't want to uh, dilute it down, I should say, with people who just, you know, want to drop a whole ton of weight you know, and just, and just, or don't even really understand the conversation going in. So if they want to hang out in that community, have people discussing all of this stuff and talk about really having a strong community, uh, it's the Open Sky Fitness Podcast group on Facebook. That's where, that's where we hang out all basically every day. Quality yeah. over quantity. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's the most important thing. And boom, I just be beat Cliff Ravenscraft. We're at a, <laughs> a, a, an hour and 40 minutes and I'm like, I'm like celebrating over here. This is the best. This is the best show ever. <laughs> it's the simple thing. It's the, it's the, it's the little things. It's the little things. Better. It really is. 
Rob, yeah, exactly. thank you so much for being here. Listeners, you can find the show notes and the links and ways to get in touch with Rob and yeah, everything that we've talked about over at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP302. Rob, I'm, well, I have to put it out there because I do it for everybody else. Do you have one last piece of parting advice? Your last piece of, of advice was just incredible, but I don't want to not give you that opportunity. Yes, I have one more. You, um, you either win or you learn. There is no lose, right? You either win or you learn. If, don't be afraid to take risks in life. You'll always learn something from it. The worst thing that you could do is just is hold back and not ever take a step in the direction that that has you kind of fearful. Take a step towards that fear. Take a leap of faith and you'll learn something. It probably won't end up as bad as you thought. It's just just take that leap of faith. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Mm-hmm.